Living Corporate is brought to you by Canaries. Let me tell you about Canaries. Canaries is a tech company formed in 2018 by black founders who experienced inequities in the corporate world like most of us in the workplace. They saw typical diversity initiatives, but knew that to create systemic change, diversity, equity, and inclusion needed to be done differently. They're still ahead of the curve, focusing on the E and the I using a data-driven approach. Think Canary in the Coal Mine. The name is a nod to the canaries coal miners used to bring into mines to determine if the work environment was safe or undesirable. That's what they do for companies. They help you find the folks you need to listen to, the canaries, who will help you diagnose, measure, and attack your DEI challenges. Canaries has your back. Check them out at www.canaries.com backslash employer. That's www.kanarys.com backslash employer. Living Corporate is brought to you by Black Men in Tech. Black Men in Tech's mission is to elevate the voice of black men in the technology space by offering year-round engagement opportunities and philanthropic contributions for people and the black community, the neighborhood. In the tech industry, black men regularly struggle to access networking and career advancement opportunities. At Black Men in Tech 2021, they are partnering with their allies to create a safer space where black men can share their experiences authentically. Through this effort, Black Men in Tech hopes to share knowledge that can be used by black attendees to overcome race-based obstacles while also offering non-black allies the chance to learn how they can be more supportive of their melanated colleagues. To learn more about the Black Men in Tech conference that will be happening on June 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, check them out at blackmenintech.com. That's B-L-K-M-E-N-I-N-T-E-C-H dot com. Black Men in Tech. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and you know what we're doing, right? Every single week, we are centering and amplifying the voices of black and brown folks at work. And this series is particularly special because we're highlighting and partnering with Pfizer. So we're working with Pfizer, talking to some of their leaders, talking about the work that they're doing within the black and brown communities, marginalized, overlooked communities, while also spotlighting their black leaders and talking about what they're doing internally to make sure that Pfizer is a choice employer for historically marginalized folks. And I'm excited because of the interview we have today with Lily Wanwasen. Lily is a manager within Pfizer's Global Health and Social Impact Organization. And so what I'm excited about is like, it's easy to sometimes just kind of think about these huge companies as just doing this one thing, but Pfizer is really investing in their communities in very tangible, actionable ways. And so you're going to hear about that when we get into this discussion with Lily. And what I also appreciate is the generational diversity of the leaders that we're speaking to for this campaign. And I think that Lily and I are both millennials. And so, you know, our vision and desire for this more equitable and connected world, it resonated with me, the fact that she has a thankfulness for what they're doing while also dreaming about all the things they can do. And it's going to take that. You know, this is just a note to organizations. It's going to take your young people, your younger people. You need to lean in on them. It's easy to be dismissive of our aspirations. It's easy to be dismissive of the things that we think are goals as lofty, almost like fantasies. 
but it's the dreamers that shape the future straight up it's the dreamers and you have to make sure that you're engaging them and what i'm really excited about my conversation with lily is she is being engaged she is a member and a leader within pfizer and i'm just really excited and can't wait for y'all to listen to our conversation before we get there though we're going to tap in with tristan so after we get back from that we'll see you in a minute What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. I have one question for you. Are you treating your job like a marriage? So last week, I got an email from L. Michelle Smith, an amazing author, speaker, and executive coach. In the email, she poses that very question. She also gives some points on what treating your job like a marriage looks like, including discussing looking into other positions like it's creeping and that not looking around is an act of righteousness. You only share company-related posts on LinkedIn as if sharing other content is unfaithful. You won't entertain recruiters in interview like it's an extramarital affair. You treat your current position as if you have pledged until death does you part. Does any of that sound familiar? Often, we build unhealthy one-sided relationships with our jobs that only benefits our employer. This mindset allows your employer to reap all the benefits of your loyalty with little to no requirement of reciprocating it. We have to remember that our relationship with our employer is purely transactional. You provide services for which they provide pay and benefits. That type of relationship shouldn't bar you from looking at positions with other companies or feeling like you're cheating on your employer if you go on interviews. When we begin to value the company's brand over our own, we tend to lose sight of the value we bring to the company. This leads to our hard work often going unrecognized and unrewarded, except for those industry standard 2% raises. You owe it to yourself, your career, and your pay range to make external connections and court external opportunities to understand what your value is on the market. By doing this, even if you don't take the external positions, you develop a pipeline of potential opportunities in case you ever need to jump ship. You also will have a better understanding of what type of positions you qualify for and how much you really deserve to be paid. At the end of the day, companies will always do what's in their best interest, and we should follow suit. People have left actual marriages for less. If you'd like to check out more from L. Michelle Smith, you can check her out at www.lmichellesmith.com for more information. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. At Living Corporate, we often talk about how we as black folks show up at work and how these corporate power structures impact how we show up. But we know when work ends, we come home, log off, and have to show up at home for our families and communities. And as a black man, I often turn to Let's Talk, bruh, for their real, honest, and healing conversations on black masculinity, mental health, and patriarchy. Let's Talk, bruh, or LTB, is a platform that creates content around black masculinity and the impact of patriarchy in black communities. In other words, Let's Talk Bruh is having real conversations that black men need to hear and be a part of. Let's Talk Bruh creates interactive, healing, and learning experiences with black men and male socialized folks of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Through their content and community-based programs, Let's Talk Bruh seeks to reduce patriarchal violence in our community and provide support to those most impacted by patriarchal violence, specifically black women, girls, femmes, 
queer, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Tap in at letstalkbruh.com. To be clear, that's letstalkbruh.com. So brothers, what are you waiting for? Let's talk, bruh. Lily, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? Thank you for being here. I am excited um, that we're doing this campaign for Pfizer, talking to their um, some of their black leadership, right? And talking to folks uh, in the organization about just what they do, work and life at Pfizer, you know what I'm saying? This crazy world that we're living in, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Now, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what led you to join Pfizer in the first place. Ooh, I feel like that is a story of its own, but I'm happy to share that with you. Um, so I've been with the company for about almost three years now, I'll be three years in November, but just to take a couple of steps back. So I graduated uh, an undergrad in the health science degree, public health. And after graduation, I was so burnt out. I said I needed to just take some time off. So I went back to Ethiopia, which is where I'm originally from. Um, and when I was there, it was a very pivotal time for my personal life, but also my career, because that's when I really had a good understanding of what I really wanted to do and what my purpose was. And that's because I had the chance to visit hospitals, understand our healthcare infrastructure, and really take a good view of what I needed to do in order to come back and fulfill my purpose of giving back to Ethiopia from a healthcare perspective. Mm-hmm. And so with that knowledge, with that discovery, um, I came back to the States and I told myself I needed some finance background to understand allocation, to understand business. So I, I went into the business world for a little bit, but then I started understanding, okay, I wanted to be at the intersection of finance, business, but also healthcare and corporate responsibility. And during that time, the buzzword of like social impact, corporate responsibility was just starting to take root. And I wanted to be at the helm of it. So I started just looking into physicians. I started to look in companies who were doing really great work in that space, which is how I ended up at Pfizer uh, and their now global health and social impact team doing some really good, humbling and impactful work for them. So, Let's talk about the work that you're actually doing, right? Because your title is fire, right? So I read it. I was like, you know, the team, you know, I was talking to the Pfizer team. Shout out. You know, I'm a, I'm a same. Shout out to me. Shout out to, to Ellen. Shout out to Dane. Shout out to everybody. But so yeah. I'm having these conversations though, right? And they're, they're giving me the names and, and I'm like, okay, cool. But this, I was like, Yo, what is this? What is this? Global health and social impact at Pfizer. What does that role actually mean? Like, what does your role consist of? And then talk to me about how your role the function of your role, particularly in the last 12 months or so? Thank you for that question. So Global Health and Social Impact is our team. So I I don't want to take all the credit for taking on that, the amazing name of that team, but we are pretty cool. I I will say that. But our team, Global Health and Social Impact, essentially, our main focus is addressing essentially very complex landscape. And we use our resources, our medicine, our vaccine, and our financial investments to really strengthen healthcare services, whether that's in the U.S. or abroad. And something that I really love about our team, Global Health and Social Impact, is how we consistently move with a sense of urgency and commitment and consistency. Uh, You can see that when we're responding to the COVID crisis in India or when we're trying to eliminate and neglect a tropical disease called trachoma. Mm. It's our pursuit and relentless effort to really support patients in need around the world. And to be part of a company 
specifically this team has been, as I mentioned, such a humbling experience because we get to see directly the impact that we make. And I get to see the direct impact that we make in the country that I'm from. And it feels like a whole 360 moment for me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's definitely been exciting to be part of that, that mission and that team. Uh, and to your question about what it's been like in the past 12 months, I mean, I don't even think I had the chance to really unpack what it really means yet from a personal perspective, but mm-hmm. definitely working for a company like Pfizer that has now become a household name, it has its benefits, but it also comes in a, an extreme amount of pressure. From the pandemic perspective, I've never seen a company so um, invigorated and just so um, motivated to really essentially save the world. And mm-hmm. our direct impact is making sure that we give the vaccines to individuals who may not have the same uh, wallet size as these other de- developed countries. But when you're thinking about, it's interesting because I, I, I'm at the intersection of being a woman, a Black woman, but also working in the space of pharma that now has created this life-saving vaccine. Mm-hmm. And so when we bring that back to the whole social justice movement, it was a lot. It, def- it definitely was a lot, to be honest with you, because you're seeing these things day to day, you're seeing them on TV, and you kind of have to go back to work and like do your job. But I'm blessed to have an amazing manager, a Black woman who leads with compassion and understanding and has always been like, if you need the time, like take it. And I'm privileged in that sense. And I'm privileged that Pfizer has really taken the initiative to step up and make sure that what's happening in the world is one, address, but also they're taking the, the initiative to address it and make sure that the employees that work for them are are supported and encouraged to have these really tough conversations, whether we're talking about racism or discrimination. But yeah, I feel like that was that a lot, but yeah. No, it wasn't a lot at all. It's really good. I appreciate it. And you yeah. know, I hear you. I can't imagine if I'm, you know, we're talking about inequity when it comes to health access and care, and we're talking even about the vaccine and vaccine access and vaccine equity, equitable access to the vaccine, as well as vaccine hesitancy Um, and all these different things, right? You talk about even like the historical narrative around and just the reality of black and brown communities and medicine and why those hesitancies exist. And then for you to like work in a place that specifically uh, responds to that is, I can imagine that being waiting. So, so talk to me about that, you know, and shout out to all the Ethiopians and the Eritreans out there. I see y'all. Thank you. (laughs) So let me ask you this. You talk about your beginnings, you talk about family and cultural context. What is it like in your family sitting where you sit doing the work that you do? Like, does your family come back to you and ask you questions about the vaccine? Are they asking you questions about Pfizer or about healthcare? Like what role do you play in your immediate family? You know, that's a very interesting topic and question and one that I have sort of asked myself, not just when it comes to like working in the space of pharma and now Pfizer, but also generally just working in the industry and having this really, I guess, like a corporate job. I am my mother's only child. Mm. And so like that pressure always has been there. Mm. But you can imagine now that working in the space, you're kind of um, asked these tough questions all the time. And I welcome them. I think it's such an important time because everyone is so invested in healthcare. Everyone wants to know what's happening. Everyone is doing the due diligence, the research, and asking these really tough questions. And I've never seen a conversation about healthcare so normalized among our community. Like people asking you, have you been vaccinated? What is the side effect? What are the benefits? 
And I love the fact that we're having very open and honest conversation about our, our healthcare, especially in the black and brown population, because historically, this is where the health inequity comes. It's making sure that you're knowledgeable, you know, your health charts, and you're asking your doctors, like, why are you giving me this diagnosis or this test? And that stems from having these conversations within my family. It's making sure that, hey, I understand there might be some hesitancy as to why you might not be comfortable taking this vaccine, but let me educate you on what the importance might be. Let me educate you on the symptoms that you might feel uh, after taking this vaccine. And then that information can be cascaded to their friends who are worried whether, you know, once they get a vaccine, there's going to be a chip implanted. Like these are conversations that I, no, I have within cool. my community. And it's, it's kind of like, are you serious? Like, that's just unreal. But these are, you know, narratives that they believe because as you know, historically, the, you know, we've been disenfranchised among our community. Mm-hmm. But when you add the layer of being, you know, coming from an immigrant family, there's a lot of distrust. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of misdialogue. And I'm happy to have those really open conversations. And mm-hmm. if my belief in medicine and stance in my company can be cascaded and supported to my family's friends, my mom's friends, then I'm happy to do that. You know, it's you, you bring up something really important, like, you know, some people use this word like intersectionality and they kind of, I don't know, they kind of just kind of throw it on stuff, but it, it has real application. You're a hundred percent right. It's like, yeah. yeah, like you talked about before, like this intersection of blackness uh, while also being a woman, but also to your point, being an immigrant, being Ethiopian, being Eritrean, like those come with very nuanced, uh, specific experiences and perspectives. And okay. it's important, well, you can respect this broader diaspora respecting that means also understanding, acknowledging the uniqueness of the subcultures they're in, right? And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, I'm curious, right? Like we talk about these past 12 months and I know you said you're still processing and unpacking like the personal, you know, some of the, from the murder of George Floyd to all these different promises and commitments around diversity and inclusion. I want to talk to you and ask you about what your experience has been like at Pfizer the past 12 months if you were to advocate or, you know, you tell some, you tell other black folks, other brown folks about working at Pfizer, like, what would you say? Yeah. So when the whole issue around social justice movement came um, and it was being replicated around the globe and we just saw everything come to light, to be honest, I was very hesitant as to where my company stood. Um, and that hesitancy comes from just historical knowledge of how companies and corporations seem to have took a stance on social injustice when it comes to police brutality. But to my extreme surprise, our CEO came forth and really took a stance on social inequity um, facing African-Americans in the black and brown population, but also was very clear on the things that they will do to support the employees that work for them. Mm. And I really, really appreciated that. And some might say, you know, it's performative, you know, companies like to do that because they want to save face. And of course, there's sort of that hesitation, knowing that these are things that have been done in the past. Mm-hmm. But working for the company and actually having individual connections with people that work at Pfizer, I really wanted to be part of that solution. And so when they came forth and asked individuals to participate in like small, intimate dialogues and have open and honest conversations about race and discrimination, I raised my hand. I said, listen, I'm willing to have these really tough conversations with white people and explain the things that we face as black people that work in corporate America. And because of that, they've been able to implement advisory councils that are now dealing with onboarding issues uh, that comes with like language bias, race bias, when you're looking at job postings, like how do we make sure that we're not creating that barrier at the beginning of someone's employment and not just when they get to their job? 
And so these are some really good and substantial movements that Pfizer has implemented. And I'm not just saying that because I want to toot Pfizer's horn, but I really do believe in the work that they're doing. And I'm happy to have been included in the progress because our voices need to be heard. And not to say that we always need to do the work and educate others about being Black in America, but I do believe in being part of progress, being part of a solution. So I really do think they've done the work. And now that I'm on in the side, but if I was like on the outside and trying to recruit myself to come work for Pfizer, mm-hmm. I would say the same thing. And I would say, you know, when I first started, I was welcomed, I would say with open arms, that sounds cheesy, but it was true. And open arms from these employment groups like CRG, mm-hmm. all these like mm-hmm. CRGs, like Global Black Council, individuals who've been with Pfizer for many, many years and have established mm-hmm. their relationships, the connections. And I've understood what it means to be Black in that space and mm-hmm. are willing to carry me and support me to make sure I'm successful. And not just career-wise, but like mentally and all that stuff. And so I would say, absolutely, do the research. Make sure that the culture is important, it's valuable. We've become such a purpose-driven company and the past year has shown that. And I, I know that the work is being done to be more inclusive. And now we're planting the seeds to be that company in the future and for future generations. That's exciting. You know, when we, we interviewed uh, Myra Terry and we were talking yeah. about uh, about this, about the fact that, like, you know, we didn't it, it didn't just start with conversations. It just wasn't conversations. You know, like there was action that came beyond that. Right. So that, that transitions from being performative, actually being impactful. So that's really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Now, now let's talk a little bit more about you know, your role. So again, I know that you're not the entire department. You're, you're a manager within the department. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you're most proud of that your team has accomplished over the last year. And then let's pivot to what you're most excited about as you look at the next 12 months. Who? Okay. Um, something that I am proud of. There's so many things, but if I had to pick one, it would be this project that we piloted last year, peak pandemic, and it was around addressing the social determinants of health within Black communities. Mm-hmm. As you know, these are historic underinvestments in our communities when it comes to healthcare infrastructure, when it comes to vaccine education, when it comes to screenings. And because COVID really showed the truth of where this underinvestment was in our communities. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to make sure that we reallocated some funding into making sure that we supported organizations who were already doing the legwork. And so we were able to allocate money to organizations who are in their communities educating and making sure that they're mobilizing and working with individuals in the area to make sure that they're supported in their healthcare. Mm -hmm. And because we saw how successful that was and how impactful we were actually able to essentially do another one this year. And so we're kind of like in the middle of it right now where we've been able to grant it. Right now we're going to allocate $4.5 million to 15 organizations that meet the criteria that we've established within our request for proposal that say, are you addressing one or more health conditions within the African population? Now we're talking about cancer. We're talking about diabetes. We're talking about cardiovascular disease, all these really heightened diseases that typically affect Black people at a disproportional rate, are you addressing any of those? And then two, what social determinants of health are you addressing in your community? So because COVID has really shown the truth of where this underinvestment comes in, we wanted to make sure we're making targeted investments and using community-based evidence to kind of allocate that resource. And I'm excited because 
I just think I'm proud and I'm excited that we are making that investment because community investment is at the rootedness of what needs to be done so we can impact our community on a larger scale. And we're doing it to local community organizations in, in the United States. So that's been really exciting. Now, in terms of what I look forward to, I would say now it's been exciting and just honestly unreal that we discovered a vaccine and we were able to support millions of people access it. What I would love to see and what would be much more iconic is if everyone in the world had access to it equally. And I know that we're doing really great work. We're creating multilateral relationships and partnerships to make sure that people who don't have access to it or can't afford to do so are given at a cost. But there's always some barriers. There's always infrastructure barrier. There's always distribution barriers, innovation barriers. And knowing Pfizer and knowing the PGS community, I'm sure they're doing really great work to accelerate that. But I just would love for everyone around the world in developing countries to have access to vaccines so we can all just be okay, honestly, and yeah. and live and succeed in, in our healthcare. You know, I want to go back to the first part of your answer. Thank you yeah. uh, for taking it. Is You're right when it comes to investment. Like investment, I agree. I think that it's interesting because there's so many parallels between community investment for healthcare Mm-hmm. And then just investment in black and brown people, period, for success, right? You talked about even when you started and you joined at Pfizer, I mean, ultimately, those ERGs that were in place and those people came in and they invested in you. And then mm-hmm. even even some of these panels and things that you were part of, and now there's action committees and process and policy changes, and all, those are investments back into these stakeholder groups so that folks can have, they can have an equitable experience where they can belong. And so it's interesting. I hope that folks can start connecting the dots and see that these other, these poor or disenfranchised communities, again, disenfranchised, the nature of the word means that they weren't, they didn't choose to be disenfranchised. They're victims of an inequitable system mm-hmm. that folks will connect the dots that it's not that they're doing bad because they're choosing to do bad. It's because they don't have access. They don't have investment. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm excited. Like when I hear you say the fact that you have created this program where you've identified these funds to create that, I mean, that's just, that's super dope to me. Um, shoot, you got me excited. Now, I don't do your work, but I'm trying to figure out how I can. Let me get an internship <laughs> at Pfizer. Let me see what's going on. Listen, wow. let me know. <laughs> we'll take you on. <laughs> no, you're right. It's exciting. And the good thing is there's a lot of investments happening. And mm-hmm. I really do hope it's not overlooked that a lot of these great organizations, including Pfizer, are doing the work. And we don't want to be a one and done situation. We want to create multilateral investments in these communities because that's when you start seeing evidence that it is working and you're creating impact in these communities. So I do hope that we continue to create these investments for the years to come. And we don't have to talk about social determinants of health 10, 20 years from now. Like it's just people are just accessing equity and health and finance and education and that we can eliminate food deserts. I don't know if it's like a utopia moment, but like I really do hope we get to the moment that we don't have to create these funds to eliminate these things. Well, it goes back to the second thing you were saying about just, you know, access to everyone. And I I agree. There are some structural challenges there. But I think we've also seen this past year that there are a lot of things that we can do if we choose to do. We just need to choose to do them, whatever those things may be. Right. Mm, Like So mm -hmm. they're not impossible challenges. They're challenges, but they're not insurmountable. They're not Herculean. We can do them. Right. And so I join you in your hopefulness and in your desire that folks have access to this to this vaccine. You know, it's so scary, Lily. Like my wife and I, we've gone outside like maybe a couple of times because I'm I'm genuinely cautious about 
Now we I've been vaccinated. Shout out Pfizer fam. What's up? Uh, I got my I got my two doses. You're a Pfizer but, prince. That's what we say. Oh, Pfizer prince. That's what the internet says. Yeah. If, if okay. you're a girl, you're a Pfizer princess. And if you're a okay. guy, you're a Pfizer prince. <laughs> got it. Okay. See, I didn't, I was only on Pfizer fam, but I'm caught up now. Thank you for hipping me to the lingo. Um, welcome. Yeah. So, so I'm Pfizer prince all day, gang, gang, <laughs> but I'm still not outside like that. Cause you know, I'm just trying to be thoughtful about. And so it's, it's interesting community to community or even like in America, like a first world country. You know, we take it for granted, like this idea of like, oh, it's like there are people out there who would very much so like the vaccine. It's like, you know what? Just anyway, I, this is just a moment for me where I've really I'm ca- getting a little bit in my feels because I think about all the people who've passed away. Right. All the people who are still dying and just the criticality of you know the fact that we're still in a pandemic. Like this is not over. Like we need to mm-hmm. be careful. And the fact that there are there's still a lot of work to do. But I'm I am thankful for you and your work and the team. Listen, before I let you go, what advice would you give to leaders who want to attract, you know, more black and brown talent, who want to attract more immigrants to their organizations? Like, what are some of the things that they could be doing? First of all, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. I just want to say it's a collective effort, like our team, Global Health Social Impact Team. I just want to give a shout out to my amazing manager, Naisha Foster, but also our incredible leader, Caroline Rohn. They do great, great work and their effort is unparalleled. I just want to put that out there. In terms of advice, I would say, you know, increasing pipeline is incredibly important. Increasing and opening up that access is important. So I just would encourage corporations, including Pfizer, to really go where the talent is. Like, don't always expect us to come to these places, to these job fairs or to these weekend symposiums that companies like do. Because truth be told, some community members may just not have access to get to these places. So I would encourage companies to go to organizations that are already doing the legwork, that are already amplifying and uplifting and championing the works of Black and brown individuals who are excelling in their respective fields. Like personally, I've been part of organizations like Balfour Academy, Bottom Line, the Jackie Robinson Foundation, all of these organizations that are already uplifting individuals like myself who want to be in these spaces. So like go and recruit and go and like go and partner with them, go and increase and create these multilateral engagements where you're directly bringing in students and individuals who are interested in coming in and interning at your organization. So that is one of my advice. My second one is when you're creating these open opportunities, create multiple of them, create, uh, mm. you know, spaces to have that peer to peer engagement among black people, because mm. no one wants to be the token black employee. Like, that's the truth. And you're coming into the space and you're like, oh, great, I'm hired. But where are the other people that look just like me? It's just it's mentally it's just not a safe space to be in. So that's those are my top two advice. I love it. I love it. Lily, thank you so much for coming on Living Corporate, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. 
make sure you check out the leadership range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Yo, we're back. Thank you so much to Lily. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Really inspiring to see and hear the tangible ways within which uh, Pfizer is engaging and working to uh, create uh, equity and to create true social impact. And the fact that there's someone like Lily sitting in that office who is wishful and hopeful of a future where everyone has access to life-saving medicine. And it's great because of where she sits, her dreams and her hopes can actually be a reality. She's in a position to influence and create change. And so excited for that. Listen, we're going to be back soon with another installment of our Leadership Spotlight series. Make sure if you haven't already to click the links in the show notes to learn more about Pfizer, learn more about the COVID vaccine, and um, catch y'all later. This has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.